We're we like two minutes late. Tell them to suck a dick. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the ATL Sports HQ live show, the show for the fans by the fans. It's episode number 13. I am Bob Lancaster. You can find me on social media at Bowling Bob. I'm Phil Beasley, aka underscore ATL Phil on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Derek Clements. You can follow me on Twitter at DClements. I'm Brett Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore A27. Nice of Brett to join us today, the Georgia Tech specialist. He'll be talking about everything going on with uh, Georgia Tech a little bit later on. We're gonna, he's going to give the State of the Union Georgia Tech address, let us know what's been going on in the offseason. But uh, you can follow the site at atlsportshq.com and atlsportshq on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And also, the show can be found on all major podcast sites, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any major podcast sites, we're there. And if you're interested in writing for the site, we are actively recruiting, so you can shoot me a message or Phil on Twitter. Let us know you want to write with for us, and uh, we'll get you all set up. But uh, let's go ahead and start with the uh, Super Bowl in Atlanta. It is now set. The Saints were defeated at home by the L.A. Rams 26-23. Let's just get to the point. How bad was the pass interference non-call, and did it affect the final score, Derek? Nah, that, was, that was a terrible call. I mean, <laughs> at first, I mean, on first on live play, I, I was like, oh, that's clean. But then as soon as they showed the replay, I was like, oh, yeah, that's crazy. But, I mean, I mean, obviously affected the score because – that was pretty much game right there. Granted, if they would have made the field goal uh, to end it. But, I mean, Drew Brees, their legendary quarterback, he threw an interception in overtime. So, I mean, the Saints still had a chance to win that game. So, you can't solely blame that. But that's the easy thing to go to. And, I mean, you know the fans always love to blame the refs. Yeah, I think that's the case with any fan base, you know. Um, you know, anytime a call doesn't go your way in the, uh, you know, any kind of game, um, you know, especially hitting, you know, with having social media now and stuff, um, it's easy to just go right to social media. You have that instant reaction. But, uh, hey, Brett, what did you think about it, man? Yeah, I agree. And it really, it did change the final score because the Saints would have eventually would have won the game right there. But, you can't look back on that one play. It was a terrible call, but that one play was not what cost them the game because they they didn't have a chance in overtime. Drew Brees to interception, so well, it was a bad call. But if the Saints probably would have won the game, the call was made. But they still had opportunities to win the game before that and after that. So, yeah, you know, uh, that that's just the thing with a call like that. You know, um, it it didn't affect the game, but then again, now, you know, you could also say, Hey, if, if they do score there, then it never goes to overtime. So we never see that interception from Drew Brees, but there's a lot of shoulda, woulda, coulda involved in that whole game. You know, uh, you know, the Saints scored enough for it to be a pivotal call. So maybe if the defense had played a little bit better for the Saints, you know, we wouldn't have been talking about that as well. So, but Phil, what'd you think? Man, I thought that was a great call. No, I'm playing. But, um, <laughs> hey, it's a bad call. I know it's a horrible call. I might have changed the outcome of the game. But if, uh, stuff happens. You know, you just got to deal with it. They had their chances. There were bad calls that went the other way in the in the game. You know, there's been bad calls in every single game in NFL history. So they got to deal with it. They got to stop their whining. They got to stop their crying. They got to stop their hating. It is what it is. Nothing can change it. Come back next year. Yeah, you know, for me, it was, um, I mean, obviously it was a terrible call. I mean, he was there a good, I would say, two seconds. You know, it, most of the time, like when it comes to pass interference like that and a bang-bang call, you know, when you go to replay or, or when you see it live and, and you see the hit and you're like, oh, you know, that was that could have gone either way because when it's sped up, it's hard for – you know, the ref to tell, but I watched both the slow motion call and it, you know, being in real time and man, it was just bad. Uh, I can't, I just can't imagine what he didn't see. What was worse too, was it was a helmet to helmet miss. So, 
you missed not only past interference, but then you missed a head to head or a helmet to helmet call, which also should have been 15 yards. So, um, you know, I, I just think in a pivotal, pivotal game like that, you know, the, the ref should have done a better job, but, but did it affect the final score? I, you know, I don't think so. Um, again, like, like I just said earlier, um, you know, the, the Saints should have, you know, played better defense or maybe scored a little bit more. They missed on two possessions early, an, inter- an early interception by Goff, and then uh, they took field goals on essentially their first two drives where they were within the 20. And so that was, you know, an, an additional 11 points that they could have put on the board if they kicked two field goals. So that was a 22, uh, no, essentially 11-point swing, you know, that they could have had there. Yeah, that would have made a difference too. But but putting aside the obvious Saints bias in Atlanta, and how pissed off would you have been had it been the Falcons that happened to Phil? Hey, I mean, like I said, refs are human too. Bad calls happen in every game. Yeah, I would be pissed, but I wouldn't be acting like these Saints fans talking about replay the game and uh, getting billboards. I mean, those billboards cost hundreds of thousand dollars. You know how many cars go by 85 a day? Those are some expensive billboards. Uh, that money could be going to good use. They could be building some better flood walls or something in New Orleans. Did, but, um, <laughs> did you see any of those billboards on your, you know, on the way to to your trip? Nah, nah, I haven't been. No, nah, I haven't seen any either. I just heard about it, so I'll probably see them tomorrow. But Brett, if that had been a Falcons, you know, call against the Falcons, how pissed off do you think you'd have been? Oh, I would have been pretty upset. But the thing is, we have. <laughs> We have seen some of that before in 2013 because when Roddy White didn't get he, – he was held. I think Navarro Bowman held, held him in that 49ers NFC Championship game. And we didn't get a call. He didn't see us putting up billboards. He didn't see us crying. Well, we were all upset on social media, but we weren't taking it to the extreme. The Saints were making rap music videos and stuff like that. So they're, they're just taking it way too far. But, yeah, I would I would have been – too, but I wouldn't take it to that extreme. Yeah, you know, uh, Derek, uh, what do you think, man? How upset would you have been had it been the Falcons? I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, we don't – you don't know how it feels until you're in those shoes. But, I mean, it happens to everybody. Like Phil said, the refs are human. I mean, mistakes are going to happen. And, yeah, of course, it probably hurt to see that happen. But they still had opportunity to win that game. And the team just didn't come through with the win. So, I mean, it, it just a lot goes into it. Well, you know, I I actually can relate to this, but this happened to, you know, being a Seahawks fan, happened to us in the Super Bowl against Pittsburgh, um, where the ref fully admitted out that he made mistakes the entire game that cost us the Super Bowl. So, we, you know, we were the next level up when the refs, you know, but I, but then again, social media wasn't as prevalent back for that game as, as it is now. So you didn't get that instant reaction. And then, um, you know, so, and then the fact that we, you know, we did win the Super Bowl a little bit later might, uh, but we, you know, we talked about that for a long time, how, how it definitely affected the game. But it, it like you said, it, it's just a part of the game. You know, we, every single week on ESPN or social media or anything like that, we're talking about a call like that now, it seems. So, you know, uh, we're going to talk about, you know, instant or uh, challenging and stuff like that a little bit li- later. But, you know, one thing about the Saints not winning, though, um, I was talking with Craig Sager Jr. on uh, on Twitter earlier today, and we were talking about the economic impact for how upset like restaurant owners and stuff are that the Saints didn't win because of the amount of fans that would have came New Orleans to Atlanta. It's going to be within the millions of lost business for, for those, those, those people, because um, although they'll still get, uh, you know, the crowd coming in and stuff, you know, the, the Saints fans would have been here in masses to spend money and just to taunt us and stuff like that here in Atlanta. But the violence level and the police are probably a little happier that the Saints aren't going to be here. But, uh, Derek, what do you think of the rest of the game, you know, aside from that play? I mean, it was a good game. I mean, I, I actually enjoyed watching it from both sides. I mean, and then obviously I love seeing the ending of them losing and it made it even better that they pretty much got cheated. But, I mean, I think it was a good game. <laughs> I think it was a good game, and I was glad for both games. I mean, the Chiefs and Patriots also played a good game. So that's all I was looking for was a well uh, fought game from both teams. Phil, what did you think about the rest of the game? Yeah, it was a really good game. You know, two, of course, two very good teams. Uh, you know, 
very different outcome than the first time they played, of course. <laughs> but, you know, two of the best teams, you know, one of the best quarterbacks, one of the best young coaches, it was a really good matchup. And unfortunately, I mean, you never want to see it end like that. But it was great to see Drew Brees throw that interception. And then I always cheer, you know, a good underdog story. Really good to see uh, a new team coming here to Atlanta, pretty much. I mean, when's the last time the Rams have been in the Super Bowl? They haven't, of course, since they've been in uh, in L.A., but you know, it's always good. I always like to see somebody new. Yeah, Brent, man, you know, what did you think about that, the whole entire game, you know, as a whole? Yeah, it was a great game. I mean, the Rams basically won that game down their best player in Todd Gurley. Well, not the about say second best player behind Aaron Donald and Todd Gurley. And, um, but yeah, it was a great game. Jared, Jared Goff played extremely well. And, and again, it's always, it's awesome to see the Saints lose like that. And, um, but yeah, I, I, and I really feel like the best team did end up winning that game because the Rams are just, I think they're a team that's going to give the Patriots the best fight in the Super Bowl. It's how they match up on offense and defense. Yeah. You know, um, Jared Goff struggled the, I say essentially the first, quarter and a half and then finally started uh, getting a little bit comfortable um uh, Todd Gurley you know he it, that's who it is you know he I mean he is who he is you know he's gonna he's gonna get his you know runs in but they've really been splitting the ball um in this entire playoffs Todd Gurley hasn't been really featured as much um and it's been working out for them uh you know Sean McVay all, always has that team ready to go um but uh you know one thing that's not talked about as much as you know a 57 yard field goal to win it how clutch is that i mean it was you know that that was money so uh a big win for them you know good for them we always like a like a fresh team in the play or in the super bowl um and and la's got i think does have a good shot at uh um at winning this one so but now we got to get to their game uh, patriots are back into the super bowl again they defeated the chiefs on the road 37 to 31 why do we continue to doubt tom brady how good was his second half performance phil who doubting tom brady yes i mean i ain't doubting really. tom brady <laughs> tom brady is the greatest quarterback in the history of the nfl i wasn't doubting him i mean i knew they'd be back in the Super Bowl. I, I mean, yeah, Kansas City was a great story this year. Patrick Mahomes was a great story this year and probably will be a great story for the next 10 years. But, you know, I, I know the Patriots didn't have a great regular season, but, you know, it's Tom Brady. He was probably bored. <laughs> you know, Bill Belichick had them boys ready. Tom Brady had his team ready. There was no way they were going to lose. I mean, they almost lost, but, you know, as soon as it got to overtime, we all knew what was going to happen. They were going to win the yeah. Tournament. And march right down the field because yeah, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. As soon as they won, as soon as they won that coin toss, it was like, yep, yeah. yeah, game over. But yeah, I'll, I'll never count out Tom Brady. That man can play till he's about forty-five. I'll, I'll still, I'll take experience over just about anything, especially at the quarterback spot. When pretty much all he has to do is manage the game now these days. Brad, how was that second half performance? That was unbelievable, man. It's just every single postseason, you just see it nonstop. With Tom Brady doing all that, and but I, I honestly thought it was going to be the I honestly thought the Chiefs were going to win that game, kind of like a passing of the torch kind of game from Tom Brady to Mahomes. But Tom Brady never failed. He's going to be clutch, and those three third downs he converted in overtime. I mean, it doesn't get more clutch than that. Yeah, you know, I I, I agree with you there. You know, uh, Derek, you know, how good do you think it was? Yeah, I mean. It's just Tom Brady, like Phil said. I mean, he's definitely, I mean, solidified himself as the greatest quarterback of all time because, I mean, he continues to get it done every single year. I mean, this might be the worst team he's ever had, and they still found a way to be one of the up-and-coming teams that were supposed to be one of the best teams in the league uh, through this season. So, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy to see that he continues to get the job done, and even when he looks like he's out, he finds a way to get back into it. What amazes me about Tom Brady is that when he ups his game, it seems like every receiver that he has available to him ups their game as well. There was a couple passes that Edelman caught that were a little overthrown. Um, uh, Gronk was fantastic in the second half as well. 
But, you know, one one uh, underrated performance, you know, in that game, especially the second half, was Tony Romo. I mean, how great was that dude? I mean, he six consecutive plays in a row down to where the defense lined up, what play was going to happen, who he was going to. And because of that, Tony Romo gets to, gets to call the Super Bowl and uh, you know he he was just he was just fantastic. You know I was like I I was amazed about how how many times in a row he was right. So, but uh, you know I I just like you know when I say why do we continue to doubt Tom Brady? You know every year at the beginning of the year I hear oh they're on they're they're done. You know it's not going to happen. And I don't think any of the four of us doubt him. I mean we sat here every week now and said and taken the Patriots to win. Because again, they you know you got to take them until they lose, you know, and that just seems to be you know the uh, at, when they do lose, it's the Super Bowl, you know. So, um, you know, I still even now, you know, it's like how how can you how can you doubt them? They're he's playing at a level that's just again just unreal, you know, which is why probably why he's the greatest quarterback ever, you know. But uh, let's switch over to the other side. Uh, how fun was seeing Patrick Mahomes? going toe-to-toe with one of the greatest, Brett. I mean, it's like I said, he's going to be the next great quarterback. He's going to dominate this league for a very long time. He's got skills that we have. He's kind of like a – he's got the Brett Favre kind of mentality to him. Like, he makes some throws that you've never seen before. And um, the the way – as long as Andy Reid's there, and Patrick Mahomes is going to be a a problem in this this league. And I think he's going to be a problem no matter who his coach is because it's just – just given ability, man, and in his first postseason like that, just to perform like he did, just unbelievable. Yeah, um, I I remember telling my wife that uh, um, when he he is the best sidearm quarterback I think I've ever seen at just ripping the ball sidearm and getting it right to a receiver. And that game, you know, was evident of, uh, you know, some of the plays that he does. And, and he's so accurate while on the run, too. And that's hard to do when you're a mobile quarterback to both rush and be accurate when you're trying to throw out of the, you know, from rushing out of the pocket. But uh, how fun performance, uh, Derek? Oh, it was fun to watch. I mean, I, I enjoy watching his game a lot because, I mean, when things look to be going bad, he turns it into something. And I mean, like Brett said, he's going to be one of those quarterbacks that that is looked at as one of the best uh, in the future. And I mean, it was just great to see that he was able to continue his great play against top competitors in the playoffs. And I mean, that's a, a area that people thought that he might struggle. They might thought that it might take him a year or two to be able to get into the rhythm and perform at a high level in the playoffs. So it was good to see that he was able to uh, compete against, I mean, one of the greatest, Tom Brady. Yeah. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, it was a magnificent thing to see, um, and I can't wait to watch him for years to come. What a, what a great story he has become. I mean, who really saw this coming, you know, when he came into the league? So it, it was really great, you know, for a long time. It looked like they were going to pull it off there at, toward the end of the fourth quarter, but they just couldn't get over the top. But next year, man, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for years and years. Yeah, you know, uh, my, my comment's going to kind of segue into what we're going to talk about next, but the only thing stopping Patrick Mahomes was a coin flip. I mean, I think if they would have gotten a chance to, uh, you know, get a, get a possession in overtime, this game just could have kept going and going and going because I'm telling you, from from each possession in the second half, it, it just everybody was scoring and it, it was just, it was a ton of fun to watch it it felt you know like a you know like a nfc afc championship game you know it just had where you just didn't know who was going to win and but it just really just come down to experience and tom brady being in that situation and then him getting that ball he i think he knew in his mind too that they had to score a touchdown or else, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going to drive right down the field. But uh, uh, to segue to that next question, though, I'll start with you, Phil. Does the overtime rule need to be changed so both teams get a possession? Yeah, I watched Super Bowl 51, so you know what my answer is. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I don't understand, and especially with the league going more and more toward a high-powered offense and scoring more and more, and seemingly they're pushing – you know, that they want teams to score more. They're doing everything in their power. 
it's only fair to let both teams touch the ball no matter what. Brad, what do you think, man? Does that rule need to be changed? Yeah, I agree. It needs to be changed. I mean, I mean, essentially, whenever a player like Tom Brady gets the ball, he's in overtime like that, sudden death, he's going to score a touchdown. There's just no way a way around. He's going to score a touchdown. And um, But I was listening to Deion Sanders. He said, put the ball at the 50, kind of adopt the college rules to it, but move the ball back to the 50. It brings a special team, it's offense and defense into the game. So I, I needs to be changed, but I don't, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon, to be honest. Yeah, Derek, what do you think, man? Oh, yeah, I mean, it definitely needs to be changed. I don't think there was anybody that didn't want to see what Patrick Mahomes could uh, counter with what Tom Brady did. I mean, everybody wanted to see him to get one more chance to prove himself. But, I mean, it's obviously better than what it used to be. And, I mean, I think change will come, but I think it will be in the far future and it won't be anytime soon. There's three things that I love. World Cup shootouts, NHL Stanley Cup shootouts, and college football you know, uh, overtime rules. I just love where you start at the 25 and you just gun it out until, you know, they can't score no more, can't score no more, you know? So, uh, I definitely think the rule needs to be changed. I've thought the rule needs to be changed since the first time I did see college overtime. Um, and then, uh, you know, they, they try to change it where, you know, with, if they only score a field goal, then you get a possession chance. But I mean, that that's only half of a rule change. You know, they need to go all the way with it, bring in that college football, you know, the college football rules. And uh, which is really surprising that college football has got a better rule than the NFL does when it comes to overtime. But I was going to, what made me laugh, my wife in chat and YouTube, she said, Tony Romo's finally going to a Super Bowl. And that just made me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) But they, a lot of the comments on YouTube all say they need to adapt to the college football overtime rules as well. So, um, but uh, let's uh, go. Let's do Super Bowl predictions, Derek. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and I mean I'm not down Tom Brady, but I am gonna go ahead and pick the Rams. I think they have too many weapons on both sides of the ball, and just that talent level is way different from the Patriots side. So I think the Rams are gonna pull it off. Brett? All right, well, whatever I say, it's probably going to be the exact opposite. That's the way it usually works for me in NFL. So I'm, but I am going to pick the Patriots in this one. And I think it's going to be something probably like 38 to 31. And Tom Brady's going to have another late clutch drive again. I'm going to Patriots. Phil? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm not counting out Tom Brady. I got the Patriots. Yeah, I'm taking the Patriots, but I don't think it's going to be as close as everybody else thinks. I think it's going to be uh, 28 to 10 Patriots. I just don't the the experience going in um, uh, right now. Sony Michelle is absolutely rolling, so uh, uh, I think that he uh, the weakness in the Saints the Saints defense this year has been uh, rushing. So. Um, uh, so I think that they're it's not going to be as close as people think. So so I think I'm definitely going with the Patriots for sure, though. But let's uh, roll into the Atlanta Hawks and the NBA. Hawks are one and two since the last show with losses against Boston, 113-105, and Orlando, 122-103, and a win last night against Chicago, 121-101. What are some of the things Atlanta can be learning in these defeats to be better next year, Phil? Um, to just keep fighting, you know, every game they come out there, you know, we, uh, earlier this year, we were coming out, we were getting down 20 in the first quarter, but now we're coming out and we're really fighting, you know, the last three games, we've scored like 20 points in the first five minutes. Now, of course we have our lows because we basically have no bench right now with all our injuries. Of course, um, Kent Bazemore and now Kevin Herter, but you just love the growth and development that this team has shown this year. Coach Pierce has these boys balling. Um Trey Young is playing decent. Now don't uh don't just look at um don't just look at his shooting numbers because last night he was one for twelve. But I'll tell you he had an impact on that game. He controlled the tempo. He had twelve assists. He was feeding John Collins. He took decent shots. So you know don't just look at the shooting numbers. You know, people at ESPN and idiots on Twitter and stuff just want to be dumb and, and be box score watchers. That's one thing I can't stand about people in the NBA. 
Everybody want to be a box score watcher. No, watch the dang game. Yeah, Derek, what do you think are some of the things Atlanta can be learning in these losses to be better next year? Um, I think a big thing is, and it's starting to come together a little bit, but just being able to play at the level that they can each quarter, it seems like we always have that one quarter where there's a big drop-off, and then we start to find ourselves down, and then we can't recover at the end. So, I mean, just finding a way to complete a full game at our highest level. And I think this is uh, the close games like we have had been having this season. I think it helps with our late-game situation and knowing who – and where to put the ball and just being able to execute in the late game situation. So I think it's definitely helping with that. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, Brett? I kind of agree. Like the late game situations and just learn how to finish games at Boston game. We, we had pretty much had that game one and just kind of let that one slip out right out the door. But I'm um, yeah, also just trying to establish who really is the go-to guy. And is it going to be Trey Young, but is it going to be John Collins? It's kind of, trying to figure out who the go-to guy is when we need a basket. And I really think that guy ended up might be in John Collins because he's shown plenty of times with that Philadelphia game. He can hit clutch shots, and he's just playing. He should be an all-star and um, this this season, and he's going to be a perennial 2010 guy, I think, in the future. So, But it's trying to figure out who the go-to guy is and finishing late, late in games. So I think that's going to be a big step that we get from the season. Yeah, um, you know, I'm actually uh, going to agree with Derek uh, in the fact that, you know, consistency to me is what they, you know, they can be learning in the situations is not to give up the big quarter. Um, you know, that's it. That's the thing. They're usually playing three really good quarters, but that one quarter that they give up all the points in is, you know, causing them to lose games. I don't, we haven't really had too many blowout losses this year. I mean, uh, maybe what, Three offhand, Phil. Could you go think of three blowout losses? Yeah, I mean, Sacramento, Sacramento, the, obviously, yeah. uh, the Bucks. You know, but I really, I mean, they haven't been blown out many times at all this year. But, um, you know, so that's what I want to see. I, I want to see them be a little more consistent on defense for four quarters instead of two and a half to three. So, uh, but, you know, John Collins just continues just to be phenomenal. I mean, yesterday, it's hard to say, man, this was his best performance, but I, I thought it was. I mean, it looked like they were feeding him the ball a little bit more um, on top of him grabbing his own points, you know, that he's been doing all year. Um, I think they were listening to us in the HQ private chat talking about, you know, how, how we had uh, – you know, how we had to start feeding in the ball. And, you know, there's actually a, a really good article on our website that talks about, you know, John Collins uh, needing to get the ball a little bit more. So uh, um, who, who wrote that article? Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. yeah, great article by Jackson. So make sure you go on the site and read that if you're a big John Collins fan. So, But with all the trade chatter going around involving vet names with the Hawks, Will the first guy out the door actually be Torian Prince, uh, Phil? Nah, I doubt it. It would take a pretty um, it would take a pretty shocking offer for us to let go of Torian Prince. Um, the numbers just aren't there this year for us to really probably get what we want for him. Um, honestly, I mean, it's gonna be Dwayne Dedman. I would be shocked if Dwayne Dedman was on this team February seventh at three oh one p.m. He, we just, I mean, and there's no disrespect. Dwayne Demon is a great player. He seems like a great guy. We just, we don't, we, we have no need for him. We have Alex Lynn. We have John Collins. We have Omari. Uh, if you recall, Plumlee was playing good, too, before he got injured. So there, there, I, there's just no need for him. You know, send him off. Let him to a playoff team or a team that thinks they're a playoff team. Because, you know, by about the deadline, um, some teams that really shouldn't be buyers will be buyers. So, you know, get another draft pick for him. But Yeah, um, uh, you know, one one thing that really just changed the, you know, changed the landscape of the NBA was Oladipo going down for the year. So now Indiana's going to be a huge buyer somewhere. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who they decide to go after because they're obviously sorely in need to find a replacement. 
if they're smart, they won't go after anybody because they'll realize that they don't have a chance. <laughs> exactly. You know, that I, I thought the same thing as you on that. You know, that they just there really isn't a move to be made. It's not like that they're knocking on the title door or anything like that. But um, you know, I think that they, you know, they will make a thing. So, but uh Brett, what do you think, man? Do you think Torian's gonna be first out the door? No, I kind of agree with Phil. I believe it is going to be Dwayne Devin. I kind of swallowed back and forth between him and Jeremy Lin, and it really very well could be Jeremy Lin. But Jeremy Lin is the way he's playing right now, but I also think we need a veteran backup behind Trey Young just to kind of keep him afloat a little bit. But, yeah, it's going to be Dwayne Devin. He's playing good basketball right now. Some contender is going to need a nice big man off the bench that can come in and stretch the floor. So he might probably land us a heavily protected first-round pick. But, yeah, I think it's going to be Dwayne Devin. But it depends on what kind of offer comes in with Jeremy Lin. Because if Jeremy Lin comes in, some something throws on the table, a lottery would take the first-round pick. It's going to be hard not to jump on that. Yeah, I agree with you there. Derek, what you think, man? Uh, yeah, I don't think the Hawks are desperate to get uh, Torian Prince away. I mean, I think they're just looking to see if there's a deal they can't resist. I mean, and it's not a ba- bad idea because, I mean, of the – impressive play we've seen from Hertzer and then we might still have Bazemore and then I mean the wings in this draft are very talented and they see a lot that could be a part of this future especially with us having two picks in the lottery so I mean I think the Hawks won't take a gamble and throw him away for something that isn't going to benefit us I think they're just looking for the perfect deal and if they can find it then yeah they might ship him but I don't think they're in a, a hurry to push him out the door yeah, I, I think the only way that he gets moved is, like you said, if it's the right deal, um, you know, kind of just, you know, Twitter rumors and stuff like that. Uh, the name I heard was Michael Porter Jr. And all I could think was, wow, I, I just can't see Denver giving up Michael Porter Jr. this quickly, um, you know. Uh, but that's the thing, you know. What what are the Hawks needing to, you know, let uh, Torian go out the door um, you know, I, I don't know with how much he's kind of struggled this year, if he could bring back, you know, anything worth, you know, worth sending him out the door for, but that's going to be something interesting to watch out because I just think that, uh, you know, Lloyd Pierce is just starting to get a little frustrated with him. There's guys right now in Erie that are playing very well that could take Torian's, uh, Torian's place. So, uh, you know, Again, maybe you package him with someone and it becomes a bigger deal for a better draft pick. So that, you know, him and uh, um, Jeremy Lin maybe could go together or something like that. But uh, what do you guys make of a potential Chandler Parsons deal to Atlanta and what might it involve, Phil? Um, it would, I think it would be a buyout. It would just be to get a first rounder from, from Memphis uh, for taking on that bad salary. Uh, it wouldn't take much to get it done. Whatever would make the money work to send back to Memphis, but honestly, it's just taking back bad contracts for getting uh for getting first round picks. Back to Torian, real quick. It's not even that he's necessarily struggled. It just seems like he don't fit what we're doing. Yeah, he uh, he's a little slow in a speed, you know, an offense that Lloyd Pierce seriously seems like he wants to speed up. So I I agree with you on the fit, but uh, um. Yeah, do you do you think that a Chandler Parsons deal will be good, Derek? I mean, like Phil said, I mean, I don't ever see Chandler Parsons actually playing in a Hawks jerseys if the deal actually went through. But I mean, yeah, if, I think we'll do it because I mean we have the money to take on a bad salary and then buy him out, and then if we can get a pick for the future, hopefully a twenty twenty pick because that would help a lot because I think we're really set for this uh, upcoming draft. So I mean, if we could get another pick for uh, the f- next few years coming up, I think it'll be a good uh, idea to go through with. Yeah. You know, Hey Brad, I'm going to add a little bit of something to this question for you. Uh, you know, um, are you kind of surprised Memphis seems to be giving up and ready to go young? A lot of guys that never, we never would have thought might've been dealt from Memphis are now on the block. Uh, no, not really. Cause it seems like they kind of stuck in the butt for years. And whether that been finally a Gasol getting injured or both of them being injured by couple years ago but they just that duo is really seeing its time come and go and I, I feel like it is time for them to move on and just try to 
just restart because they will land a bunch of picks for those. Those are two very quality players and there's above average players in this league. And Gasol, um, he's a, one of the best big men in the NBA. So he's going to land a, a bunch of picks. And um, so it'll be a good idea for them just to start restarting. And back to Chandler Parsons thing, uh, I mean, it'll be since like the Melo, Carmelo Anthony trade where we buy them out, get a couple picks. But yeah, you know, they get the money to do it and add a couple more picks. So yeah, go. I'm I'm all game for it. Yeah, um, you know, I think that with Memphis, they never really had the young guy to build around where they could afford to, you know, to let those guys go to start over. But Jaron Jackson's been such a fantastic surprise for them this year. Um, and finally, you know, they've got. They've got their building block in the future. So, uh, you know, now is the time to blow it up. And I think they see around the league how it's going with, you know, so many teams going young and, and rebuilding to try and compete with some of the bigger teams. That's really the only chance you have. You can only go two or three years, you know, with with strong vets. And if they're not getting it done, you can't continue down that path. So I, I'm surprised it took them this long to, to move. But like I said, I think that has a lot to do with just not having a good start guy to, um, to go young with. And so, um, but I, I, you know, I agree with you that Marcus saw, you know, he's going to be a good piece for, for whoever he goes to, if it's a contending team to, to add to it, let's just hope that that's not golden state. <laughs> I just have that feeling. I just have that feeling. He wouldn't mind winning a ring too. So why not go play off the bench for golden state? So, but, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see on that too. Uh, I, I, I agree with you all on Chandler Parsons. I think that'd just be a, you know, us waving a salary dump by Memphis and we would never see him suit up for Atlanta to begin with. So, um, Let's get to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I did uh, Chop Fest on Saturday. Um, had a really, really good time. Uh, went down the interview room, and uh, there's probably about, I think, 12 or 13 guys that rolled down there. Um, a, a lot of just, uh, you know, the I call them soft pitch questions until Alex Anthopoulos came through. And uh, um, a lot of good questions for him and obviously involving free agency uh, and, uh, and, and trading. Um, he said that, uh, you know, when it comes to free agency, that you, people have to understand that $300 million is a, a lot of money to invest in someone over a, a long period of time you have to weigh the factor of not the first three years but what happens after as you know the, that player ages and then you're paying you know 22 25 30 mil 33 mil over the last four years and that player is not necessarily bringing you the you would expect that you'd be you know wanting for the 30 million dollars a year that you're you're paying them he said you know i asked him about collusion and stuff like that which seems to be big in the news and he said that i said come with him i'm not but i'm that he's on free agency i still have a shot to get them uh as far as trades um it's uh you know, again, the other thing to weigh is, are you going to giving up that many prospects for a player that doesn't have that much team control left and you don't know what's going to happen after the year or two that you have them? What there really is, you know, someone's the idea that they maybe want to resign with the Braves, stay here, make a long a long-term, um, but, uh, we'll, uh, you know, I have to watch that, you know, Freddie Freeman, he came through after AA and, and he would be that we're, you know, we're, um, you know, being buyers this year instead of sellers, but, uh, we'll, uh, um, we'll just keep an eye on that and see how that goes. We're, you know, we're going to talk about the signing right now. Nick Marquez, he resigned with the Braves for six million, two million signing, four million club club option. Good or bad deal for the Braves, Phil? 
it's a good deal. You know, people were losing their minds. Can you hear me? About... Phil. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now, buddy. I'm back. <laughs> yeah, people, uh, people, people were losing their minds talking about, oh, my God. Uh, like, it's $6 million. You know, that doesn't mean he's going to be the everyday starter. Stuff can still happen. The training camp hasn't even started yet, let alone, um, you know, look at all the deals that go on during the year and approaching the trade deadline at MLB. People need to relax. Yeah, Derek, what you think, man? Do you think this is a good or a bad deal? Yeah, we're going to go ahead and pass that one to Brett. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's a, a good deal because, like I said, Phil said $6 million. And uh, as, compared to the Andrew McCutcheon deal, uh, he's what he got three or 50 mil. I mean, this, this is a home run for the Braves, in my opinion. It's a guy that an all star had a career last year with a gold glove of finalists, and uh, he's. All around, I mean, he's a great player. He's a great clubhouse guy, and uh, he was a big part of what helped us get to the postseason last year. So, I really think it is a good signing. It's one year. I mean, no long-term investment. This something does go south this year. So, all in all, I mean, it's a win-win for both parties. Yeah, you know, I uh, um, I'm going to agree with you, Brad. I think it was a good deal. Um. You got to look at AJ Pollock today. He just got a deal multi year for 55, 60 million in that range. He also had a year than Nick Mark. We're judging this deal based upon the fact that, um, you know, he, he did the second half of the year. But I wrote, a, I wrote an article today about the topic, and I said, that judging that, then if if Ozzie Albies was, you know, are we would we base him on his second half? He had one of the worst second halves of race, you know, last year's. So, um, you know, the thing is, is right now we're three three and a half weeks away from spring training, and the Braves didn't have a right fielder. So make this, you know, make this transaction as a security blanket to know that you have a right fielder and, you know, um, but realize that we just got a gold glove all-star outfielder for essentially four million, you know, and so, you know, that's a deal for the Braves. And again, if, if he comes in, he's no longer expected to produce in the four hole as far as home runs, power. That's what we got for John Stottleson is the one that's using, you know, in that role. So it gives a chance for Marquez to the doubles hitter, the singles hitter, something that he's more comfortable in, the ability to score, you know, RBIs and stuff. But, uh, um, yeah, I just I, I don't get what all the Twitter outrage. I think it's just because it's not the big name. It's not a Bryce Harper. It's not a Manny Machado. But and those guys are still out there. I mean, there's nothing that says that you know we aren't getting them. I, I have heard rumblings uh, of trades that are being worked or are happening that would not would shake things up. We would not be starting with the outfield that we think we're going to have. So. But, uh, um, Phil, do you think this is the roster the Braves go to spring training with? No, nah, something's coming. <laughs> I'm just saying something's coming. Shout out Joseph Martinez. Yeah. Brett, you think this is the roster we go to spring training with? Uh, pretty, pretty much far, yeah. I think there's probably another bullpen guy added in to get to see a trade for a starting pitcher, but uh, this is going to be a – the bulk of the roster, yeah, the bulk of the roster is there. That's still in the spring training, yeah. All right, I'm going to throw the shocker out here. I'm going to say no, and I think it's Ender and Ciarte that's not going to be here. I, I think that uh, um, I, I've heard that he is a, a name that will be moved in a bigger deal. Uh, they would slot Acuna over to center field. Um, Markakis uh, would either stay in right field or if a certain right fielder is to come to Atlanta, um, he could slot over to left field. But if he does, if he does stay in right field, um, I think that uh, um, Austin Riley uh, or Camargo may get a shot at that left field job. But I think that uh, that Indra in Ciarte is going to go for a pitcher. Um, that's just what I, what I've been hearing 
and uh, so we'll have to uh, see how that that goat plays along. But I've been hearing his name an awful lot lately. So um, I, I can't imagine that he goes for Real Muto, but that that's another option, you know. So get, that is that's definitely going to be something to watch out because I've been hearing that that rumor pop up a little bit more. But uh, all right, Brett, we're going to give you the floor here, buddy. Give us a rundown of what's happened with George. Georgia Tech football, um, Paul Johnson retiring to where we're at now. Well, basically, it's been a complete 180 in the culture change at Georgia Tech. With Jeff Collins coming in after Paul Johnson and what he left behind at Georgia Tech, and um, but Jeff Collins really doing a great job, of kind of picking up where Paul Johnson left off because he was starting to rebuild the program a little bit. We get the new locker room in, we got this new program or facility coming in in 2020 that Paul Johnson helped start and the funding for and all that. But, um, yeah, the program that's taken off is a real exciting time. Has it been a first time in a while you've seen four-star recruits um, just actively talking about Georgia Tech on social media and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, Jeff Collins brought his whole staff in. He stole one from Nick Saban over Alabama and Brent Key. He was actually played at Georgia Tech. And then the, big, the biggest um, coaching hire, I think, that Collins had was um, – bringing Tashar Choice back because he was um, a finalist for the running back coach of the year over at North Texas, and he was just looked highly upon over over there, and uh, he bonds really well with all the kids, what I've read. And, um, but in the last couple of weeks, you can tell the recruits are starting to flood in. They got a, had a couple of four-star visitors, like um, Jemias Griffin, he was visiting this past weekend, and he recently just decommitted from NC State and already has a brother on the team, so I don't want to start any rumors, but I, so that seems to be a take sitting in a pretty good spot with that one. But um, in the last couple of days as well, we got two more commits: a wide receiver commit from Pennsylvania, Nazir Burnett, and um, a linebacker from Central Burnett and Cornelius Evans. And so, kids are really starting to. It's been more in the 2020 class, so the kids starting to really view towards Tech as more than just a a step down school, just to get go get your education and that not having to worry about future football because Georgia Tech used to be where we could turn kids from no like no name recruits to big time NFL players like the start this type of um for the Broncos, Adam Gott since he came in, he was from Australia, no one ever knew who he was and now he ended up and he was like a second round pick for the Broncos. Now he's starting defensive tackle and players like Demarius Thomas and Calvin Johnson Calvin Johnson hopefully try to get him back on campus more a little bit and help out the recruiting. Just by seeing us, seeing him on campus would be a big thing for the recruits. But um, yeah, it's an exciting time to be around Georgia Tech and uh, the program. Uh, go over the basketball program for a little bit. That, that um, it's an exciting time for there too because Pastor's really starting to get the feel for recruiting. He had that uh, lull with Ron that Ron Bell situation where there was a, accusing him of all this sexual harassment and stuff like that. Kind of set the program back a year or two of recruiting, but there's exciting time on the basketball program as well. I can't see it on the court right now, but you can tell the little point where we got Jose Alvarado. He's a big, he's a big time player and um, getting James Banks up for the big man. Basketball. I mean, it's an exciting time to be a George Tech fan, in my opinion. In your opinion, you know, uh, how many years is Tech away from, you know, competing for, you know, the ACC championship? Well, the way the Coastal is set up now is um, you're competing for the um, division title is going to be right away just the way the Coastal is, how it's always big. It's a big mess every single year. You never know who's going to be good. Like last year, Virginia came out of nowhere. But to really compete for the ACC title is, I think, it's about three or four years away just because of the way Clemson is right now. I mean, I don't think – I think they are the best team in the country, and it's going to be that way until at least Trevor Lawrence leaves. So I think probably three or four years away from them being perennial contenders with the ACC crown just mainly because of Clemson being who they are. Yeah, definitely. You know, I agree with that. And the other question I got is, uh, who do you think is going to be the quarterback to start this year? Uh, I think it's actually it's going to be um, Lucas Johnson. He's a guy that's been hurt for the past two years, and it's Paul Johnson really raved about him. He was actually a core. He was a, came from more of a traditional style offense out of high school. He was a, a gunslinger. Pretty much in high school, he's got a cannibal an arm. It runs like a four five forty, but he's he. I think he ended up with 
you wouldn't have seen Tobias Auto last year if Lucas Johnson was healthy because he would have been possibly a starter last year because they the coaches rave about him because of his arm talent. He's he's gonna be he's a real deal if he can stay healthy. All right, you know, my last thing is uh I know you've uh, started a spin-off site for Georgia Tech off of uh you know on Twitter. Uh go ahead and shout out what that site is. Oh yeah, me and Ryan Miller decided we uh branch off for the and made a Georgia Tech site called Rec Havoc ATL. And you can follow on Twitter that same name at Rec Havoc ATL all lowercase. We're starting to build something special over there. We feel we're up to six members now and it's a it's, we're doing something pretty good over there. We're excited about yeah. it. It's been some real, real good Georgia Tech content on the site, you know, for for a site that and, and people that are, you know, mainly Georgia. It's always nice to have, you know, the coverage of of the second college, especially with a lot of, uh, you know, big changes like you said going down. Um, it is exciting times for Georgia Tech fans. So, you know, it's really good to have you guys doing that over there, and we're excited to see what content you guys put out. But uh, all right, let's get to some buy or sell. Mariano Rivera becomes the first player ever to be unanimous, unanimously voted to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Buy or sell him being deserving of being the first, Phil? I got to sell. I mean, yeah, he's a great, uh, a great player. But, like, I mean, the, you mean to tell me there's been nobody else better that deserves <laughs> more to be unanimous? I mean, I, I'm not – I'm not big on my MLB history, but I know there's got to be bigger names than him. Yeah, you know, uh, buyers sell Brett on him being deserving of being the first unanimous. I completely agree. I got to sell it because you see guys like Nolan Ryan, he wasn't even unanimously voted to be in the Hall of Fame his first time. And uh, same thing, Hank Aaron was he, I saw there was nine voters left him off their ballot for the first time. And, uh, uh, I mean, nothing against Martin Rivera. He deserves this, no doubt, to be unanimous, but I got to sell him being the first, though. Derek, you going to buy or sell on this one? I'm actually going to buy it. I mean, I think it just goes on the show. I mean, obviously, he was a great player, and he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But I think it goes on the show of how good of a person he was. I mean, he doesn't have any grudges with anybody, and so that played a part in the people that were voting him in, and, I mean, nobody left him off. That's that's a great answer, Derek, because um, there was people, um, reporters that didn't vote for people at all, came in and voted for him because they didn't want to be the ones that left him off being a unit, the first unanimous. Um, and so, you know, that does says a lot about how he treated reporters, um, how you know how he treats people. That's it does say a lot i'm selling though uh for me i thought the first unanimous would be ken griffey jr uh and i thought i i actually thought he deserved to be the 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 first unanimous um but there's so many great players i mean who are we to say that you know babe Ruth should have been the first unanimous who are we to say that hank aaron should have been the first unanimous um and and but Again, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. So whether he was unanimous or he wasn't, you know, props to him uh, for getting in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Edgar Martinez, Mike Messina, and Roy Halladay all made it in this year. Uh, one of the first years at, uh, as far as voted, voted in that I didn't disagree with anybody that got in. Now, as far as the Veterans Committee letting Harold Baines in, we could chat that all day long. You know, how, how Harold Baines is in before Dale Murphy is beyond me. But, you know, again, the Veterans Committee thought he should be in. Uh, the rules have changed for getting in the Hall of Fame, too. It used to be, you know, that closers didn't get in, designated hitters didn't didn't get in. Um, but now with sabermetrics being a big part of getting into the Hall of Fame, newer writers coming in that believe in sabermetrics, uh, you know, guys that may not have had a shot. I think sabermetrics played a big part of Edgar Martinez finally getting enough votes to get in the Hall of Fame, um, you know, because he gained a lot of votes in the last two years where, you know, his, his you know, hitting and stuff finally got respected. So, Shout out to all those guys for getting in the Hall of Fame. You know, that that's going to be a really fun one to watch. So. But uh, let's uh, talk about this injury last night. Victor Oladipo last night dislocated his uh, – we thought dislocated his kneecap. That's not the injury. It was actually uh, – um, what was it? A uh, tore his uh, – He ruptured his uh, groin. Yeah, ruptured some. 
Yep. Yeah, okay. Um, and he's out for the year regardless. Buy or sell this being the player one contending team could not afford to lose, Phil? I got to sell because it would be Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, now both have huge impacts, but you take Giannis off of uh, off of Milwaukee, they go from the best team in the NBA to out of the playoffs. You take uh, Depot out, they go from the fifth seed in the East to out of the playoffs. So it's a bigger impact for Milwaukee. Brett, buy or sell this one? I mean, I kind of got to disagree with that one because I got I to sell it because I think this is James Harden has watched him doing what he's doing. Was it like 200 and something straight points without unassisted points for him? Uh, this, I know Chris Paul is down. I know Capella is down. But James Harden, I just feel like even when those two are – Capella and Paul are healthy, we lose James Harden. I mean, that is their offense, even when those two are healthy and – what are they? They're the fifth seed right now in the West, where the West is by far tougher, much tougher than the East. So they get rid of James Harden. That's a deep lottery team, I think, in Houston, just because of the way the West is set up. Derek, buy or sell? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and have to sell on that one because I actually do think that how the Pacers are set up, that they still will find themselves in the playoffs this season. I mean, they're what the fifth seed right now. And I mean, you see the teams below them, and they. They've had to play without Oladipo because he was battling a knee injury earlier in the season, and they actually played well. And I think they are going to make a big move. I mean, we touched on this a little bit ago. And I think they're going to make a move that puts them in the right direction, and hopefully Depot is able to come back next season. I mean, it's looking like it might be like an 18-month uh, recovery span. So that would suck for the team. But I think just their coach and the way that they have their team set up, I think they can compete still and try to stay in the playoffs, maybe hovering around a six or eight C. Yeah. You know, I'm going to sell as well. Um, I think one of the things that's underrated for Pacers is the play of my boy from Gonzaga, DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, he has been phenomenal this year playing for them. So uh, they do have, you know, some options in the Pacers. I, I agree 100% with the Brett that if James Harden were to go down for the Rockets, the Rockets wouldn't have a chance. I mean, Chris Paul, I you could say he's, you know, a, a great player. But I just think he's a complimentary piece. And so, uh, yeah, James Harden putting in, you know, so many points that he does is pretty much irreplaceable. And second would definitely be Giannis. So, you know, I think that this is like, you know, this is definitely one of the teams where it is going to hurt them as far as playoff teams. But I don't think it's going to be, you know, that it's devastating as some of the other teams. So uh, finally, we're going to go after the no-call pass interference play. There's been an outpouring of support towards adding pass interference as a reviewable call. Buy or sell pass interference being reviewable, Derek? Uh, I'm going to sell on that one. I mean, I, I, that's just – we don't need to add that stuff into the game. I mean, that would just – there's so many controversial calls that go on through every single game. And I just – it's just added time. And, I mean, the reviews already take forever when there is one. And I mean, that would be – I just think it would be a stupid thing to have. What do you think, Brett? I agree. I got to sell it because it takes pretty much all the human aspect out of the game. Like and people calling for the electronic strikes out in baseball, get rid of umpires. I mean, that's just no fun. I got to, so I got to agree with Derek. Um, humans are going back to stakes. That's what makes football more entertaining because you never know what's going to happen. So I got to agree. Um, I got, now I'm to sell, um, making pass interference reviewable. Buy or sell, Phil. But I do think it should be – you should be able to uh, challenge anything, I think. Now, don't give them more challenges. Just if that's what they want to challenge, let them challenge that. So you think you think if they have challenges that it should be able to be reviewable? Yeah, if they have, if that's what they want to challenge, you know. That's, that's a pretty good answer. Now you got me thinking. I'm, I'm selling anyways. I just think if you start, if you start reviewing, you know, just what do you, what do you put an end to? I mean, you know, you, all we're going to have is reviews, you know, uh, again, because you got to figure that if, what if you challenge two, you get an extra challenge. Um, I think one, one thing that could be interesting, uh, 
maybe like a twist to that rule is maybe allowing in the playoffs one challenge within like two minutes of, you know, other than an officials, the officials challenge, but you get one challenge only in the playoffs within two minutes of the end of the game. But I just don't think that'll ever happen. But it sounds like there, especially after this call, that that seems to be gaining some steam that they're, that they are going to allow past interference to be reviewable. But yeah. And, and, but I think it's going to be like you said, Phil, where it'll be based off of your, um, off of your challenges. And if you use it, uh, um, then, you know, that's, that's what you can use it for. So if you, if you, if you make past interference reviewable, then it's like, well, why not the other flags? You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. why would we give past interference? Um, preference over to like roughing the passer or something like that, or fall or false starts, or you know, I think right now what's uh, you know what I think we're, the only thing reviewable I think is twelve men on the field uh, is reviewable, but uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's just like I said, what 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 where where does it end? You know, we just we could review anything. So, but uh, let's go ahead and do some shout outs. Uh, Phil, why don't you start us off? I want to shout out Atlanta United. You know, the uh, Pity Martinez deal was finally made official this morning. Um, so, yeah, we something, something's got to give by March 30th. <laughs> but uh, shout out to everybody listening, uh, everybody writing. Appreciate y'all, just everybody's support. And make sure you check out Game Time Radio on Sundays, too, and go to ATL Sports HQ every single day. Derek, you shout out. Uh, yeah, I mean, shout out to everybody that tuned in today. And I mean, shout out Brett for coming on and stepping up and uh, doing good and uh, running that Georgia Tech segment, uh, giving out all the good information. We appreciate that. And we just hope you all continue to listen and give us feedback. Shout someone out, Brett. Oh, well, I'm going to shout the listeners. And then I got to shout my boy Harrison Bucker. Yeah, I mean, it was a short kick, but he had a ice in his veins in that game on Sunday. So that, it, I mean, like I said, it was a short kick, but still – Playoff, big time atmosphere. It, it was a game time kick in the final seconds. That's still ice in his veins. So I got to shout out Harrison Bucker. I got to shout out boy Gerald. I know he's listening. So I got to shout him out. <laughs> All right. I'm going to shout out uh, you, Brett. Thanks for coming on today, man. We appreciate it. You've been doing a lot of really good. Good stuff with this Georgia Tennessee to come on and be able to talk about what you were doing on, you know, on that Twitter site and, you know, with the writing that you've been done and, and then uh, shout out for the game time radio Sunday, 6 PM Eastern standard time, 3 PM Pacific standard time. And then I want to shout out my in-laws, Jack and Sharon. They listen every single week to the podcast. So shout out to you guys. And I think that's it. Thanks for listening to the ATL sports HQ live podcast week.